Welcome to the Podcast Maneuver, the officially unofficial podcast for Picard. Star Trek Picard? That's what the show is called on CBS All Access. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we watched Season 1, Episode 9, titled Et in Arcadia Ego, Part 1. Uh, Aaron, do you have any idea what this title means? Yeah, I looked at, so there's a famous painting with this title that is um, this depicting like some shepherds and, and then a lady in a very utopian pastoral scene. And mm-hmm. it means uh, w- uh, even in Arcadia, there is death. And Arcadia and Arcadia is like a, an old timey classical word for like a utopia or paradise. So, yeah, I kind of met the the areas outside of the the hellscape that is the city. Yeah, yeah. Like even uh, even in even in apparently a paradise uh, situation, you still have death, and it was very, uh, you know, very on the nose for this episode uh, where we uncover mm-hmm. an apparent cybernetic utopia that us biologicals are going to go in there and fuck up. Yeah, and you've got uh, a a bio person who is, I think, actively dying. Mm. Or or approaching the end of his life. They get multiple uh, people. I think Picard yeah. and uh, Doctor Soon Junior both True. seem like they're having some kind of problem. Are we yeah. going to get Robo Picard? Uh, maybe there's some discussion on the forums about uh, you know Picard dying and putting him in an underwear model's body for next <laughs> season. Oh, see, I thought they would just just put him in. You're right. That would be a way to have Picard. <laughs> oh my god. It'd be terrible. It'd be so bad. Uh, you'd have to do the world's greatest casting, and it would have to be Patrick yeah. Stewart saying, I'm just too old for this shit. I love Star Trek, and I wanted to help him. <laughs> I'm going into Bella Lugosi. I was trying for Patrick Stewart. I ended up... Yeah, that's not Patrick no, I Stewart. Know. I was, I went Transylvanian. I was trying to go Patrick Stewart at Transylvania. I somehow. mean, you, you, could, you could put him in uh, Justin Bieber. He was an underwear model at one point, wasn't he? I don't know. Or Josh Holloway. It makes sense. Lost. It makes sense, though. He's an old man, and, mm-hmm. you know, do you want to build a franchise around them? But on the other hand, um, they've got this... I don't... This is kind of ghoulish. Can we admit that this is ghoulish? The mm-hmm. entire idea that you give a fictional a fictional character a indefinite but but terminal prognosis just so in case he dies in the middle of the sea, you can just, you can just roll with it in plot terms. Yeah, but it's, it is pretty ghoulish. It is, um, uh, but you know, at in Arcadia ego, in so. Arcadia ego, is it any more or less <laughs> ghoulish than to talk about recasting him into a robot body? No, certainly not. No. Uh, if anything, I think it's they're both plot elements to to walk around a real life man's death. You know, right? Yeah, right. I don't know. I'm not sure uh, what their plan is for this. If that was part of this consideration uh, for the whole plot of this thing, and his you know, aromatic syndrome or not. Yeah. Uh, don't know. Uh, but are what, so what did you actually think of this episode? We haven't actually got to that part. So it's weird because this, like this has never been, this show has never been more TNG yeah. than this episode, like going down to the planet of extraordinarily fit people wearing yeah. silk robes. Like yeah. it, that's so TNG. Uh-huh. And so when I saw that, I was like, Oh yeah, hell yeah. Uh, and there's some really cool ideas and concepts. Like I sort of like the idea that this was not necessarily a warning for us, but sort of an offer of help to yeah, panic the button. synthetics. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, very cool. So, but I mean, there's also a lot of dumb shit. Oh yeah. 
what are you gonna do you're right it does it does i had the same thought when they go down to this planet and everyone's dressed in these crazy like you know star trek's always been a little horny maybe even uh-huh. a lot horny and this felt very much like one of those early season episodes where can you imagine if Riker was with him Oh my god! You know, Sutra, like halfway through the episode, Sutra would be stroking his chest hair and be like, "I just, I've never met an organic like you. You're just so distinct and individual." And you know, Riker would be wiggling his eyebrows, and then she would, "I can't, mm-hmm. I can't kill these biologics because Riker's dick is just that good." Uh, so it did feel like that too, but also it had the classic TNG two parter, like pulling out all the stops. Yep. Like, we got a space battle, and holy shit, a Borg cube, and oh my god, these space organs are going to fucking drag him down to a planet for crash landing. <laughs> ah! You know, and, and the Seven of Nine is going to turn this thing into some kind of probably self-evident planetary defense system uh-huh. um, that's going to wipe out 218 Romulan warbirds next episode. That's, like, pretty exciting, you know, best of both worlds kind of class uh, stakes and action and drama. But yeah, yeah also actually, a lot was- of stupid shit. <laughs> a lot of stupid shit. I, I was wondering how many. Do you remember how many ships were at Wolf Three Five Nine to fight that board cube? At least three hundred fifty nine wolves, <laughs> let alone ships. No, I'm it, thinking, could a board cube take on two hundred something Romulan warbirds? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's three of them struggled to take on Janeway's ship at times. So <laughs> that's true, you know. But that was Voyager. That's the thing. Like, if if Janeway crash, so if Janeway comes out of retirement, crash lands the Voyager right in the middle of Seven of Nine's cube, unbeatable. Yeah. Let us rip open a, a transwarp conduit and take the whole fucking planet to Arcadia. Uh-huh. Uh, what do you think about getting into this episode? Let's do it. All right, we start with La Serena emerging from the transwarp conduit, completely unscathed, but Narek has followed them through, and La Serena's in trouble until the Borg Cube comes to the rescue. And some giant flowers, some big old orchids, envelop La Serena and the Borg Cube and drag it down to the planet, and the Picard goes into a trance and thanks everyone for coming. What was that about? Man, I thought they were going to explain it in the plot, but they just didn't. Like, they might. It's a part one, so I'm hoping part two will. Because I thought it was like the ale, the the synthetics making first contact, like somehow taking over his mind. Because they, they played it like that. Oh. They played it like classic Picard being overtaken by something. But then also, I think the plot wants us to believe that this was related to whatever brain kookiness he's 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 experiencing whatever brain that, i'm gonna call this a brain cloud because they're trying real cloud. hard not to say uramaji syndrome i'm gonna call it brain cloud from uh tom hanks's classic joe versus volcano he's, okay he's, he's afflicted with a brain cloud uh it's bad it's some kind of disease it's serious it's probably going to kill him but who knows what the symptoms the symptoms might be he talks like he's possessed by an alien spirit mm-hmm. um there's a third option, too, which is that he's somehow connecting to the Borg consciousness mm-hmm. that Seven has reinstituted on the Borg cube. Oh, that is a good possibility. So, like, yeah, there are three options out there, and I kind of like that. They've sort of left a lot of pathways for this to go down. Because they called him there, but there's this. the thing is, is this first, I thought the first 15 minutes of this show was really all over the place because... I did not get the sensation from watching the crew that they were being drugged to a crash landing, right? Like, everyone was, like, super chill about this space um, flower enveloping them and dragging them into violent reentry. Everything mm-hmm. on fire, everything on flames. The Serena uh, crash lands and looks like it's really fucked up. It's got, like, hull damage and there's shit sparking. Um, like, but I at no time undergoing this... Um, you know, like when when in generations, 
the Enterprise Classic uh, 1701D was crash landing on uh, fucking Malcolm McDowell world. Uh-huh. Data said, grabbed the console and said, oh, shit. <laughs> because uh-huh. it was a fucking event they were going through. These people were just like, well, I guess these fire pedals and, you know. Yeah, it, it was weird. I mean, the, the power was totally out. I like were we able to see if there was a window out the front or is that just a view screen? It looked like there were actual physical windows on this pl- this ship because you could see the darkness and then you could also okay. see like the flames starting to eat through the eat through the the flower shields. Gotcha. I couldn't remember. But they also established uh, that like the Borg ship was going to crash land on this planet and like, oh, my God, maybe no one even survives. But they all survive. Right. With no explanation. No, it, it was it was kind of weird. Uh, but I will say it was pretty awesome to see the Borg cube hitting that's, the atmosphere. That's what, and it, I, I was at a war with like, this is so fucking cool. And this is so yeah. fucking silly and dumb. And I don't under, do you, I, I wonder if like they did got all the actor scenes before they actually decide what was going on with the ship. You know, it's like, hey, and, we and need... just did it in post. Yeah, like we're going to like because uh, like we're not sure if they're going to be beamed down or we're not sure if they're this or that. So just kind of everyone have a neutral effect and then we'll fix it with the CGI flowers because <laughs> it's like they just didn't act like they were in any kind of danger. And it seemed like they were in crazy danger. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like same thing with Picard when he has this out of body experience. I don't think it was very clear about what happened and the, they never actually clarified uh, it for us either. I mean, that's true of this show in general. Like, look at how Jurati acts. It? You know, one minute she's like uh, talking about hell coming to Earth, and the next minute she's giggling about how cute the android is. You know, like, th- this shit is inconsistent across the board. So, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they but were see, just like. I, I've resolved that in myself that she has literally gone crazy from the mind meld. And I guess you could say Picard can act bizarre. Bizarre. Picard can act bizarre because he's got the brain cloud. Uh-huh. Uh, everyone else, like like this, like um, Rios's ship, he should be acting concerned for his own fucking life and the fact that his ship is getting fucked up. You know, Gerardi's the only one losing her mind throughout all this, and you know, when she's the rational voice, I get worried. Yeah, it's it's crazy because I mean, can can you imagine like astronauts on reentry not having parachutes for the the capsules or anything flash down at hundreds of miles an hour yeah or the parachutes a daffodil that's rapidly losing its structural integrity you know <laughs> right um also like uh, why we're getting all the silly stuff out really that transwarp tunnel just opens right above planetary orbit apparently that's some fucking convenient transwarp conduit right there sure is the borg man they've got they've got roads to everywhere they are they're you, they got the they put the Roman Empire to shame, <laughs> except Earth. Except yeah, because then they would just come in and kill us all. Yeah, but. can't. Well, they keep on sending the construction crew, and we keep on blowing up their cubes and sending them back in time, and it's really rude. It's true. Yeah. Uh, okay, then we get some flashbacks to Picard's doctor and his vineyard, and Picard wakes up in sick bay, and there's no power on the ship. Girardi has examined him with an old tricorder and found out that he has brain problems, the brain cloud. Uh, no power. I don't know if you're aware of this, means no emergency holograms. Mm. Oh, yeah. We're we're rid of the five. Yep. The the, the dirty five. The dirty five are... <laughs> I don't know are, what to call them. ...are gone. No power. Um, the emergency five. I like the idea that this ship has, like, manual blast shutters, though, that, uh-huh. like, can provide light. I, know, I don't know why you would engineer a ship like that. Mm-hmm. Is, is I, I guess I never assumed that Rio's ship was capable of atmospheric flight. 
So I'm trying yeah, it's to think pretty of, small though. I'm trying to think of what circumstances that would under normal operation come in handy to be able to flood a bay with light, but I don't know. Or to keep the light out. Mm. Maybe especially in sick bay, maybe you've got some uh, photosensitive disease or something and you need to shut out the light well i think the ship should have armor plate all over it like you know so it can you know because this does this ship also seems man how does how did rios get his hands on this ship this is he's a civilian pilot and he's got a ship that's got fucking phasers and mm-hmm. stuff that's pretty wild i i don't know maybe they'll go more into his backstory after you know his captain i mean uh, I'm, i think it's cool himself, that he's but... essentially han solo he's got a millennium falcon oh. that's this old freighter that's got like way souped up engines and i just and, and he wanted and... in a sabbath game yeah obviously right 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 space landall calrissian oh he wanted in a game of 3d chess mm, mm. that must 4D be chess. it 3d chess is just chess <laughs> 40 chess but actually yeah he's he, he won an old school 3d chess with his old yeah. school tricorder uh he did on yahoo games on yahoo games <laughs> uh okay so afterward picard tells his crew that his brain doesn't work right and he's dying and that's the last they'll speak of it and then there's a status report during which soji says she's uh she remembers a station nearby that she might have lived in after she was created and picard suggests they walk there mm-hmm. um i mean it's weird, like that. I felt like this is a meta moment where, like, Picard and John and and uh, Patrick Stewart are speaking as one. Mm-hmm. Like, we know this is all ghoulish. And it's kind of gross to be speculating about it. So let's just, uh, yeah, I'm dying. I got the brain cloud, and let's hear no more of it. Except for this, this we hear this every 15 minutes in the episode. Right. Everybody who meets him brings it up. Yeah, he's he has, he has to have tearful goodbyes. Uh, and boy. Patrick Stewart still pretty emotionally stunted. Um, not Patrick Stewart, John Luke Picard, despite yeah. his protestations to the contrary. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and he's he's talking about things pissing him off, which doesn't strike me as particularly Picard language. Uh, but you know, this is a fifteen-year yeah. on Picard, twenty-year on. I Picard. thought it was a pretty. I thought it was a pretty good speech. It's just they now can can go PG thirteen with it. Yeah. All right, uh, so the crew gears up and then notices that the cube has crashed as well, and they decide we're going to go there instead of the uh, station that you were talking about. And when they get there, they're reunited with Elnor and Seven, who are miraculously fine. So did this is another thing that I thought was wild, that they came to this planet and risked all and crash-landed on it, to forewarn the synths that the Romulans are a coming. Mm-hmm. And because two friends of theirs might have survived, they ditch that plan and walk. I don't know how long it takes to get this board cube, but that's a, that was a hike that they made. Get yeah. A board cube to, to make sure that they're all okay. And then walking back that like, it seems like this is an unnecessary waste of time. I agree. They probably should have split the party at that point. Yes. Like, Soji and Picard go to wherever she lived. Rios and Gerardi go, and Rafi go find uh, what happened to Seven and Elnor. Yeah, they should have split the party when they and they 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 split the party in unusual, weird ways. I thought too later on, mm-hmm. um, like who they leave and who they take and all that kind of stuff. But 
I don't know. Uh, at this point in the episode, I was super disappointed because, well, okay, I was psyched because we got to see the board cube crash and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was super disappointed because they just took maybe the coolest aspect of this entire show, mm-hmm. which is the idea that they would be running around on a board cube yeah. as their main ship yeah. and, and dashed it to the ground. Yeah, and literally. I was like, oh my God. But I think by the end of this episode, we're supposed to understand they'll have it up and running in like a day yeah it's gonna be really cool when that thing rises from the surface again last seven like her eyes black as a great white shark you know full borg queen effect it's gonna be cool what if locutus of borg gets put into seven of nine's body somehow uh that would be an interesting show yeah i would like to see that sure and then he can be the pilot he can connect up to uh the the board cube pilot they, they also this is the other thing that's like this is one of these ex-borgs walk up and be like locutus and i'm like why would you do that like are these are these borgs ex-borg um are they aware of their condition are they aware right. of how other people are they aware about how they feel about it are they still like kind of borg except for they're autonomous like what is the de- why would you call him something that you would think would trigger and also why did picard get triggered by it i felt like it's been a long time and like that that he had kind of appreciated what like Hugh and him were trying to do or what Hugh was trying to do with the XBs. Um, and he got real empathy and said he's going to champion their cause. And then one of these guys calls him Locutus and he starts doing the ho 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 a thing again. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like they did much. They've got two competing ideas here, right? He wants to protect Soji or yeah, he wants to help Soji out. And then he also, is dealing with this Borg shit. Um, and both of those things are kind of coming to uh, the forefront in this episode. So, like, where are they going with this in part two? Yeah. Are, are they going to do more with the Locutus, the Borg angle, uh-huh. um, now that, you know, he's in prison? I'm, I'm sure he'll get out, yeah. like, 10 minutes into the next episode. But, yeah, yeah I, I don't know, because it, it does seem like they have a clear mission. They have a lot of, plenty of plot going on with that. The, the Soji stuff that they don't really need to do this Lakuta stuff right now. Maybe save that, but they do keep reminding us over and over. Like you said. Yeah. It's like, they're really trying to keep a lot of these balls up in the air and it feels like they're going to drop some of them have to because Picard so far this season promised to champion the Romulans, the X Borg and all synthetic life. <laughs> uh-huh. And he's still not even he still hasn't been able to keep his first promise to the Romulans. And in fact, when he got some stiff resistance, he just packed up his bald head and went home. So I, I don't know. Then I'm glad that the episode actually calls. We'll talk about that. But the episode actually calls Jean-Luc on a little bit of his bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway. All right. Let's talk about seven telling Picard what happened after he left the cube and how she found them. And also, they're working on getting the cube back online. Rafi sees 218 warbirds headed their way. Uh, she makes a comment about only needing to worry about the first 109. Why? Uh, if you're looking... Why? You, you, you've come to the wrong place for answers, my friend, because... Like, if he, she just said, it's like, well, that's not so bad, because really, you only have to worry... The, the, the first one or two are going to do the job. Like, get, giving an idea that it's massive overkill. But when you're talking about 109, like, why the first half? Do you actually think you can deal with the first half? <laughs> with the first 109 cubes? No. Yeah, with your, with your, with your, you, you're going to take 109 you, warbirds, warbirds yeah, no. with your busted cube and Picard's friends with a few phasers, quote unquote. That's why I was asking how many ships are a Wolf 359, because 
I was wondering if there was like some number there that that had significance within Star Trek, but I I didn't understand that. As prophesied, as prophesied, the Romulans will come with one less ship to 219 and the Borg would just pack it in and call it a day. But 218, they know from Wolf 359, they can handle that many Alpha Quadrant ships easy. Well, the other thing is like, what is this? What did so Picard has this little speech out of nowhere where mm-hmm. Se- seven of nine says, well, you know, I foresaw this coming and I was like at one with the universe and I did all the right moves. And I guess you're supposed to understand that that's how she guided the cube down to the smooth crash landing or put the everyone in stasis. I don't know what kind of board queen power she's got. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Picard says in the, like in a massive swing in the conversation, poor Hugh, it must have taken an appalling brutality to turn such a gentle soul to violence. Seven of and nine does it. The seven of nine does not acknowledge it. That part of the conversation goes nowhere. And I'm like, first of all, mm-hmm. yes, we saw the appalling brutality and the dehumanization. Second, Hugh turning to violence. Elnor turned to violence, Elnor but that's kind of been his thing. Yeah, it's a drop of a hat with Elnor. Hugh is just mm-hmm. kind of go like, "Hey, I want to get the cube. I want to." I mean, did 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 do we think that Hugh is going to use the Borg to just like fucking? eviscerate the Romulans they're going to dismember them he's going to borgify them like I thought he would just like use their superior numbers to like capture them detain them and then take the Borg cube to Federation space so they'd be safe I, I can't didn't get remember. that he was going to kill everyone no me either I, I'm trying to remember in this scene does does Seven use this moment to sort of obfuscate her involvement in the deaths of all those Borg is she like pushing that blame onto Hugh so. I that, that I don't quite remember. I don't think so, but no, I don't know. Um, it's just weird to have him like say that thing out of nowhere, and it just doesn't mm-hmm. lead to anything. It's just kind of like... Felt- it's not even a moment. They don't make a moment out of it. It's just a single line, and nobody really reacts to it very much, yeah, and then like, they move on. You know what it's like? It's like at the end of the first Michael Bay Transformers, where like Jazz, first in command of the Autobots, have literally been torn in half. Uh-huh. And and uh, uh, Optimus Prime bends down and picks up one half and says, oh, poor Jazz, and like drops him and then turns to the camera and gives a, a heroic like it, it's that kind of level yeah. of like poor Hugh <laughs> drop his body, turn to the camera. I'm going to fight for synth rights. I, I don't know. It's yeah. weird. It's weird. All right. Then we move on to Eleanor. Uh, Eleanor. Yes. That's what I'm calling him from now on. Elnor brings up the fact that Picard's dying to highlight that his mission is more hopeless than Seven's, and therefore he should go with Picard. And Picard tells Elnor that he needs to stay here and that he's proud of him. Uh, after telling Seven that the safety of the galaxy is in her hands, that's a big responsibility. He mm-hmm. leaves with his crew. You know, it's weird, too, that, like... Um, so here's the here's the thing. If you want to leave, because he's like, you need to stay here and work on the defensive systems. What the fuck expertise does Eldor have on working on defensive systems of a Borg starship? <laughs> like, you have two former Starfleet officers who might, might be able to do something. You've got, like, a really gifted cyber geneticist, whatever. Like, I, she probably is better off going to the android town. But, like, why the and, fuck? And you've got uh, the Borg Queen. And you got the Borg if Queen. If anyone is less qualified, if anyone is more qualified than Seven, please stand up now. Yeah, like, like. I just thought it was weird to leave to have Rafi and uh, Rios come with him and leave Elnor to work on the defensive systems. Yeah, I, I think they just didn't want Elnor going with them. I think Picard just is annoyed by Elnor. Are they? Because I I, I I got the feeling that maybe he's not a long term part of the plot. 
like he's being left behind and he's going to be kind of like maybe they'll use him like J- Jerry Ryan in future seasons um, where they, you know, might bring him back for a special guest experience, kind of like what they did with the Wesley Crusher. Yeah. You know, eventually he went to Starfleet and just he'll go never off to Starfleet back. Academy. Yeah. Every once a year he would come back and like, oh, yeah, the traveler wants to induct you into the Brotherhood of Travelers or you fucking you fucking covered up a death. In the Academy, Wesley, this isn't Starfleet. They'd have one of, you know, one, one, one a season. You'll bring Elnor back. and Yeah, you and Tom Paris covered up a death. <laughs> uh, what they could do, what they need to do in that case is they need to instill him as an integral part of the crew yeah. that absolutely needs to be there. And then he can go off to Starfleet. Yeah. And then they can replace him with Ensign after Ensign yes, after Ensign yes. every single week. Right. Rotating a batch of Ensigns. Yeah. Rotating batch of Romulan warriors. <laughs> uh, but that, that would be akin to the Wesley stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So... The crew arrives at a synthetic hippie commune where Soji is welcomed home and the head synth examines Picard's crow's feet and then Soji tells him that the Romulans are on their way. They don't have enough time to make more defenses and we're introduced to Dr. Alton Inigo soon. Mm. Played by Brent Spiner. They have a lot of fun with that. They sure do. Looks like Data Uh, if he'd gone old and soft. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had a lot of fun with it too. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was. It, you're right. It felt. This feels like classic Star Trek. That you know they go and they crest the hill, and it's like, oh look, it's their android utopia, and it's just some asshole's mansion in Malibu, uh-huh. and they got like some of these people look exactly like they're human. Some of them have like they're black, but they have that kind of gold sheen that Data has. Some of them have Data eyes. Some of them don't. It's why why is any of this like this man i feel like these are iterations like Mm. you know maddox was working on perfecting this technology and over the years which i think it's been like what 14 years Uh he's been researching this stuff so over 14 years he's iterated on the the perfection Mm. and you can't just like put version 1.0 of saga into the wood chipper like no hey we got the version of you without gold eyes freaky gold eyes let's uh Thanks yeah. for your service, uh, Saga 1.0. You know, it's like that. That's that wouldn't be in keeping with uh, respect for synthetic life forms. You would yeah. think they could just upgrade their physicality, though. Like, mm-hmm. but I don't know. He's really proud of Saga's eyes. He likes some gold eyes. He does. Yeah, he mourns the eyes he when mourns they die. The eyes when they die. That's that's the unique, irreplaceable eyeballs of an android. I don't know. It was a weird uh, moment. Yeah. A lot of this stuff is a lot of this stuff is fun, but yeah, her touching is like, oh, these are just lines on your face, but they imply so much more. Uh-huh. Like, this would be more powerful if she didn't live with an old man. <laughs> like, literally thirty seconds later, <laughs> yeah. uh, just three years younger, Brent Spiner uh, shuffles into the room and says, "Oh yeah, look me, I'm I'm fucking data, except for I've got lines on my face." But he does the exact <laughs> same thing to Picard. He's like, oh, you're so old and so wise. Yeah, it's true. It's it's yeah, you're right. I didn't realize how weird that moment was, given the circumstances. Pretty weird. Pretty weird. Uh, Okay, so Soji apologizes for bringing the Romulans here. And then a synth who looks just like Soji shows up. Uh, Her name is Sutra. Mm -hmm. And she mind melds with Jurati to see what the Romulans showed her. She sees that the admonition wasn't really a warning. It was an offer of help from an alliance of synthetics to any synthetics who might find it. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? So 
this in, in, Alton Soong is a genius beyond compare. Uh-huh. He's not only figured out how to perfectly create synthetic life, uh, far better than his father ever did, and at the same time, he has taught that thing how to mind meld. He had, has created a, a positronic it matrix. It taught itself because it was pa- it it had Fair. a passion for it. I don't understand how this works because I always thought there was something within the Vulcan mind physiologically that let it actually communicate with humans in this way or other beings in this way. I didn't realize it was a skill you could learn. I think it's both because like Romulan, like because the Romulans can't do it anymore, but not because they're physiologically too similar. It's just because they haven't been focusing the discipline. I suppose it's like, you know, if you had a species, if you had, if you had earthlings, because, you know, we all have the, we all have, a, we all have a couple special powers that we don't actually do. Like every one of us, if you're a healthy adult, has the ability to potentially hold your breath for like 10 minutes. But not all of well, us. Okay, but, but we all that, have lungs. Right? But we right. all have lungs. But like, here's if, the thing. I'm, I'm thinking this is akin to like telling a being with arms to learn how to catch. No, I was going to agree or with you. Or without arms. I was rather. going to agree with you. I was going to agree that there's a genetic basis. I was just going to take that. It's like, what if you had a planet, you take humans and you take them on a plane and put them on a water world and like 99% of the, the population practices, you know, suppressing their their breathing cycles and they can all hold yeah. their breath for 10 or 15 minutes and it's no big deal and then you go on the other planet where they live on a desert and no one can hold their breath past 30 seconds 30 seconds like there's no physical difference but there's a difference in like philosophy and what they've been practicing and probably some kind of selection but yeah there's got to be some kind of psionic but then again if these things are like if soji is indistinguishable from a flesh and blood person but then, yeah, she doesn't have the vul. Yeah, I don't. I, I was about to say it's like I don't know how much violence this is doing to Star Trek canon, and I'm not really a canon purist. But like, yeah. um, Data was able to do a Vulcan neck pinch, but I always thought that was just Vulcans being str- strong. Mm-hmm. So like, if you know the right place to pinch and you're strong enough to do it, anyone can Vulcan neck pinch. Maybe Worf could even learn to do it. But the yeah. mind meld, pretty fucking wild. Yeah, that, that requires a certain level of interfacing with the human mind, which actually brings up questions about, you know, how how do you say that something that can interface this closely with the human mind is not some kind of being, uh, sentient being, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, it, would we, if we were to put a human into a brain that had this capacity, yeah. uh, we would certainly call them a being at that oh, point. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so so it brings up you know all question all the questions that we've kind of dealt with in Star Trek around data mm-hmm. in the past, um, but I think the Federation at this point wants to ignore after the Mars attack. I mean, that's the thing is like these these beings are clearly sentient creatures um, mm-hmm. with agency of their own, the ability to like weigh out like cause and effect and you know risk and all that thing. Like they are like. I hope that future episodes of this doesn't spend too much time belaboring whether these are people or not, because it's very self-evident that they are that, that they're people. Even the most limited of them are are, yeah. are people. And I guess the the real question then becomes: Are we willing to uh, suppress these people's right to exist in order to protect the the galaxy? And they have the. And what's interesting, and what and I thought it, uh, the the dual purpose of the admonition slash offer of assistance I thought was particularly brilliant and the fact that the androids are in the exact same place that we are which Mm -hmm. is should we snuff out this form of life to protect our own yeah 
because there's evidence that we can't trust them. <laughs> Hopefully um, the things we built will be better than us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Otherwise I, we're all doomed. That's what I'm saying. It's, like, it's so much. It's so there's so much synchronicity between uh, Westworld and Picard right now. Um, and I'm not even mm-hmm. sure what show is going about it in the smarter, the smarter way to, to, to be honest, but there's this, yeah, this, this really interesting, like, what if we make, um, cause it wasn't a Westworld last night that said something about, um, we created stuff that is capable of like living forever or being, or is this Picard? See, I can't even tell one of the androids in one of these series said, had some monologue about you made, you made something that could be perfect and that perfection scared you. And made you. I think that that was definitely Picard, right? Or was it Westworld? Yeah, watch it. We just need to put Mister Robot back on the air, oh and then God, our yeah. confusion can be complete. Because, yeah, yeah. I don't. Like the, 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 I couldn't tell you. But either one of them could have made the point that, like, yes. anytime you deal with something that you make that's a, essentially a better copy of you, it's going to trigger like your paranoia and your jealousy and all this, you know, all, all these, the negative things about humanity. And it's mm-hmm. fascinating to see the androids struggle with the same thing, like going from put upon victims to like, Holy shit. We, we actually are in possession of an erase all biological life button. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting to me, um, them turning this idea of it being a warning, this admonition being a warning into, it being a distress signal essentially um, for the synthetics because that might also explain why it drives organic beings insane. Mm. Um, Maybe this information is coded such that you almost have to be a synthetic life form to even grasp it, to to, to have it not drive you insane when you understand it. Yeah. And the other thing that's kind of exciting is it's like, this is an art, this is almost a synthetic Q continuum is the idea I'm getting. They have, these, they seem extremely powerful. Yeah. They're this higher dimensional beings that are purely synthetic that are there to, and I'm like, I wonder if this is going to end in some kind of like, um, enforced neutral zone thing, like the the the, the hmm. synthetic cue will show up and then actual cue show up and be like look 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 I we, I get that these guys are assholes but we've got them on their own kind of trial thing and you need to fuck <laughs> off like there might be this like carving out of the galaxy for synthetic life and it's enforced by some kind of like actual barrier um, yeah I mean you can put them in the, the old series. Romulan space right right I mean I think that's what happened in the 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 old series why we got these uh neutral zones because some advanced th- uh third party life form essentially put us in our respective corners and said y'all need to to chill out and it'd be hmm. kind of fascinating for like artificial cue and real cue to like be like yo you're on our turf yeah On- only we get to fuck with the humans you know uh I think that would be an interesting way to like uh end this whole thing but it'll probably be the Borg Q whipping 218 Romulan Warbirds' asses. Yeah. And then getting its ass kicked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, once once it hits 109 limit. Right. Uh, okay, Gerardi goes to see Soong to talk about Maddox, and he scolds her for killing Maddox and gives her an opportunity to redeem herself by helping him figure out, I think, how to get his mind into a host body and get out of the park. Wait. So fucking Westworld, man. Wrong show. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Like when they pop that open, there's this like, you know, semi-synthetic uh, translucent Golem. thing being created. I'm like, holy shit, we're back in the park. Yeah, absolutely. So 
it's funny because he, he says, uh, I think they use the same terminology. It's like, I think substrate was something they talked about in Westworld, probably because they're watching Westworld too. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea that uh, um, Bruce was the guy who did the brains and Noon, Suni, this, this uh, Soon Jr. is the guy who did the uh, uh, body work. So he can't get his mind into this body. The other thing I was saying is like, so I think his way forward is that like, he'll say that he's a synthetic life form. I wonder if the synthetics will see it that way. Like, nah, you're still a human. You're still a a transplant. Yeah. You, you got, you got all of our strengths, but you don't know what it's like to be us. You don't know what it's like to be hunted. So you're going to have to be, I wonder if they're going to play like that kind of game. It could be. Yeah. Cause I mean, I don't know. There's probably a distinction if you were to take this to Starfleet and say, okay, look, we've created an entirely new life form Mm -hmm. versus, okay, look, we can stick you into these amazing bodies. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'll look like an underwear model for the rest of eternity. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think it would be interesting to see that argument. Like what separates you at that point from the synthetics? That's a great, not much. Yeah. Like uh, it might just be outlook on things, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say that's what I'm saying. Your your brains, your ability mm-hmm. to do compassion, empathy is going to be different from a synthetic. It might be. Um, and the other thing is, like you know, this is very human AI. Like their outlooks on life. I I I don't know how you do this because I've always waited for someone to tell a story of an artificial life where they don't even look at life the same as we do. Like yeah. they don't broadly value the same ideals. Um these people just seem like literally humans, you know, they're just as vain, petty, selfish, prone to fear mongering, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think in organic life forms, you always have the common drive, which is to procreate, to, to survive. Uh, I think with synthetic life forms, it could be different because they don't necessarily need to procreate because they can live forever. Right. Um, repair themselves, fix things that are wrong. Like replace if you lose some, but you don't have to like, Right, play this genetic lottery game. Yeah, there, there's no no real strong drive to actually make more of themselves. That's a good so, point. That's a good point. That could could be the difference. Uh, since Soji and Sutra discuss what they're going to do about the Romulans, and Sutra has a plan, but Soji doesn't like it because a lot of people are going to die, and then Narek is captured, just brought in, literally brought in, literally kicking and screaming. Mm-hmm. That sounds <laughs> I right. That I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, yeah. The and then Rios and Gerardi say a temporary goodbye as he goes to get the ship running and she stays at the facility to help with Soong's work. Uh, I liked seeing Spot Two here. That was a nice touch. Yeah, we almost that was one of the 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 final runners up to podcast uh, name is Spot Watch, and we were finally one season in. We'd gotten a spot sighting. Spot I mean, this D- is do this is all Bruce Maddox, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it has to be because. Uh, Soong wouldn't know anything about Data's pet. Right, right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's good. that's brought in by Maddox. Although it's why I, I love the fact that it's a RoboCat. Um, uh-huh. But also, yeah, that's it's. I thought it was kind of weird to go back a little bit that the ro- the androids apparently all worship Picard in some way. Like, they all look like, did Maddox, like, get them all around the campfire every weekend and say, let me tell you about the story of Captain Picard. Champion well, how much- of synthetic life, you know? <laughs> This yes. guy fought. I'm this, sure that I, happened. I tried to treat you all like property, but this man came down and said, nah, 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 not my golden skinned, golden eyed lieutenant mm-hmm. commander. Like, is that? So 
Uh, okay, I know there's something around them being created literally from parts of Data's brain. Right. Is there any, like, genetic memory here of who Picard is? Is there, like, some part of the positronic neurons or whatever the hell they created these life forms out of that remembers who Picard was to Data? I guess that's possible. It seems kind of dumb, but it is possible. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so then Saga gives Rafi a tool that fixes things if she uses her imagination i don't know what the hell what this thing the is, hell is this thing? it looks like an ocarina but... i was about to say it looks like <laughs> something you'd blow to conjure a tornado to take uh-huh. you to the underworld entrance you know in zelda absolutely <laughs> uh rafi says an emotional goodbye wait my notes say rafi says an emotional goodbye to rafi which might be true with enough <laughs> snake leaf next uh, yeah you get disassociate become one of the universe pretty sure i met picard uh, as she leaves to get the ship fixed and he stays behind yeah, I thought he was going to. I thought he was going to Stonewall on the "I love you." But then he said, "The mm-hmm. world's most insincere." I love you back. <laughs> right? Was also, it insincere? It's, it's also it- kind of fucked up because, like, the way this actor portrayed this with Rafi, I felt like this could have been a confession of romantic love. Mm-hmm. It could have been what well, I think is just like a friendship, camaraderie love, like a father-daughter relationship. It's kind of I don't know, man. I, it, it somewhat bothered me that I I I didn't get a good read on on like what they were actually saying. And also, is this more about yeah. the situation? Or is it more about him dying? I think. Look, they have a complicated relationship. They I, I feel like Picard has a hate the snake, don't hate the playa attitude toward Rafi. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so so like when he says I love you there's a lot of baggage with that it's like he has a lot of affection for this person that he served with for a long time and obviously based on his nickname became very very close with uh but also she is kind of out there like there's a lot of stuff that I think Picard doesn't approve of a in her lifestyle mm-hmm. um and there, there's a lot of guilt on his part I think for not believing her about this Romulan thing for the yeah. longest time which they like, haven't really addressed they ha- not fully, no. This is like um, my dad with the coronavirus. Up to last week, it was just a fucking media hoax, and now it's like, have you? I don't know if you're taking this serious, uh, uh, son. This is like really <laughs> serious business. We all need to like, yeah. Like, are you? Are, are we going to pretend like last week didn't happen? Like, I, I, I think she deserves an extended. I told you so. And Absolutely. She's not, not getting. She's not gotten that. No, and I think that's that's weighing on this conversation. Mm. Yeah, you might you might be right there. But yeah, I I don't know. I like I like this moment. I think you know, as as someone who is familiar with how uh, reserved Picard is in most emotional situations, uh, like mm-hmm. him around children is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, him in any kind of uncomfortable uh, relationship scenario is great. The biggest it, laugh in Star Trek: Next Generation history is then during that. Uh, I think it's the second episode where they all get space space flu that makes them take off their clothes and get horny and oh, when beverly crush when beverly crusher comes in his ready room uh to give him an update but then she starts unzipping her outfit and he literally just gets in her face and goes <laughs> like that he just puts up this stiff upper lip of british haram to to quash her horniness <laughs> i swear to god it's the funniest thing so this wow. is this is this man you know, at least he, he didn't give her the full haram. 
wow i need to i need to go watch the early the, seasons the, of yeah, tng it's, it's the second episode the naked Damn. now or something like that yesterday's naked now i don't know right uh okay picard contacts starfleet to get their assistance protecting the sense from the romulan fleet Narek's thirsty but since she he's their first prisoner the sense don't know how to treat him and soji tells saga they can't trust Narek despite his protests and proclamations of love when he doesn't get his way he tries to scare her with threats but she's unfazed, and when she leaves, Saga tells Narek that she'll get him what he wants. Yeah, he's just reading from the big book of emotional abuse. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, try pity, and that doesn't work. Try a yeah. love bomb, and that doesn't work. Um, Tal Shiar Spycraft, Chapter 3. Yeah, yeah. What happens when you've already burned the bridge, but you still need him? <laughs> uh, you have essentially nothing to say. Um, yeah. I like how they... I like how they focused on the blue bird that the saga is wearing, just so you know, like five minutes before it happens, where that's going to end up. I, I actually thought it was going to be in, uh, embedded into a chest. I didn't see the eyeball coming. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. I'm yes. not sure why that would actually do the job either. Like, I think if you did that to Data, he would just look at you funny. Like, why did mm-hmm. you ram this thing through my eyeball? This sucks, dude. Yeah. Uh... It disables her. His depth perception might be a little strange, but mm-hmm. other than that, yeah, I don't think it would. It would. He just he just did that thing him. where he runs the self diagnostics, where he does this with his hands back and forth, and then he'd be mm-hmm. fine. Because <laughs> that's all you got to do to be right as rain in, in Android, Android Land. Uh, anything else on that scene? I don't think so. Okay, well, let's move on to Starfleet not responding to Picard. Of course, of course, like. Did you not see that coming, Picard? They're not yeah. going to suddenly change their mind because you found a bunch of right. You androids. were ordered to go to deep space, what, twelve, mm-hmm. and report with a rom- re- re- report with a fleet, and instead you took a Borg transwarp conduit, crashed a Borg cube onto a planet, and made first contact with these aliens that we black opted away. And yeah. do you really think you can appeal to whatever regulations Starfleet has around first contact in this scenario? They've already banned these life forms. No. Admiral Clancy's just doing full on double hand palm uh-huh. uh, back at Starfleet headquarters. And, uh, and Soji says she couldn't understand the logic of sacrifice before now. And Picard tells her, oh, it's just a matter of perspective. Essentially, it depends on if you're the person holding the knife. I mean, this is I think this is interesting and it's also interesting against the backdrop of coronavirus because there is this, you know, I think it's a minority voice voice now, but it's it's pretty loud about that's it's essentially making the argument of like, OK, OK, look, one to three percent of people are going to die. Most going to be sick. It's mostly going to be elderly. You know, what are how many billions of dollars do you want to put a price on that life? You know, like mm-hmm. the economic argument. And I think that's a horrific argument to make. Um like those kind of arguments, I think Picard's like, it's like, look, if you're making an argument about who needs to live and who needs to die, it better be because you crash landed on the side of some Andes mountain and you haven't seen anyone for six weeks, months, and you're you're debating about whether we should eat the bodies of the dead and, you know, whether like when we get down to it and there's only three of us left, who should get eaten, right? Can you like eat if you're, a synthetic? I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> you can certainly derail an analogy involving them. <laughs> I, I totally uh, understand, though. Yeah, that's that's a matter of life and death for everyone. Yeah, like, but but when you're talking about like you got trillions of people smart in the galaxy with strength and power and like to be or like in this case, you got like a globe of seven billion people that have resources and, and wealth and material to be acting like we can just let one or three percent people die because some marginal utility is seems crazy. Um, 
But the thing is, is that argument works against Picard because mm-hmm. these small android people have 218 Romulan warbirds coming there that will absolutely wipe them off the face of the earth. Right. And their best. So, so Picard's offering them an uncertain hope of if you trust me in 24 hours, we can get our busted starship fixed. We can get you all on board this thing and, and bone off. And versus, then Starfleet will believe, will listen to what I say. Yeah, versus calling in the android Avengers who will treat you like Thanos and whip your, beat your ass and, 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 and beat you, kill yeah. you. So, no, I mean, I like the line. It depends on um, if you're the person holding the knife because to to the person holding the knife, this is a necessary sacrifice. Yeah. To the people being sacrificed, it's an uh, intolerable cruelty. It's, yeah, right. It's it's a complete injustice. So like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's all a matter of perspective when you're talking about making the sacrifice and there are multiple sides here that you have to see this through the lens of. And for maximum effect, as they're getting done with the philosophical discussion, a woman screams, Mm -hmm. she is immediately confronted with the, with the, uh, uh, the, the results of her being lenient and merciful and yep. resolves, I should have killed him when I had the chance. I'm like, oh, though, this is so relevant to her situation. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so you kind of move this into the next portion of the Sutra. Oh, takes sorry. watch over Eric. That's fine. Uh, and asks if he wants to get out of here because he needs the services. Uh, and then Soji ponders the ethics of killing to survive and Picard's concerned. Before anything can come of it, there's a scream. They run outside and see Saga stabbed through the eye and Eric gone. And Soji laments not killing him when she could have. Um, let's keep rolling into the final scene here where Sutra goes on a public tirade against the Romulans and says they have just enough time to call in the synthetic reinforcements. Picard implores them instead to join him on his ship so he can keep them safe and be their advocate. And Soong says it won't work because they won't listen to Picard. Uh, he's tried this before and it failed. So they take Picard prisoner and let Jurati continue her work with Soong. And finally, the Romulans are just a day away. Yeah, like, and the thing is, is she uses a scapegoat. I mean, again, all this stuff is pretty relevant that, like, she lets Narek go. She engineers this crisis to use it as a wedge issue amongst all the synths. You know, it, it worked in Soji in the microcosm, and now it's working for them all. And Picard comes mm-hmm. by and says, he essentially gives him the Romulan speech. You know, like, hey, I'll be your champion. I'll trust in me. I'll save you. And, and I, I think Brent Spiner must have really loved it coming in is being like yeah you're full of shit uh and these guys are too young and synthetic and and naive to know it but you this is the old picard tongue getting you know writing checks that you can't cash uh and yeah it's like you know this already happened once with mars a small test case not the extinction of all sentient life in the galaxy um and they didn't listen when it was just that small test case so what makes you think they're gonna listen now i mean honestly this is this is an excellent point like picard has been crushed in the gripping uh in, in the grip of logic and reason here i don't know how he gets mm-hmm. out of it like no, the, federa- the federation either miraculously has to have a change of heart mm-hmm. or the q continuum has to show up or the Borg has to, the Borg ship has to take out two hundred and eighteen yeah. Romulan warbirds. But, but if if that happens and Starfleet doesn't get religion, then the synth are, are on the run. They're yeah. either, they're going to be sitting here on the run forever, or with their f- finger hovering over speed dial for extinction. Can you imagine if the next three seasons of Star Trek are them on a Borg cube with a bunch of robe clad, silk robe clad synthetics? 
it becomes a hippie commune board this cube. Fucking, there's a bunch of half synthetic, half Borg XP. God, I can't wait. I can't, I can't wait. wait to see what happens to their faces. I can't see the fusion of, of Borg utilitarian clothing and their, you know, rise a slave <laughs> oh, girl garb. Like, it's got to be. Uh huh. Oh, man. It's going to be amazing. On the other hand, I do think Picard has a pretty powerful argument with Soji personally here because when he says, um, essentially that she's by doing this, she would fulfill the prophecy that she's been so worried about being true, true. which is her being the destroyer, right? She desperately doesn't want that to be true. These two things are at war right now in her head. And I think he's got a point, whereas, you know, Soong and the, the synthetics also have a point. Well, it's also fucked up too, that these advanced synthetic beings, um, left this warning slash, uh, distress signal, um, for people to find, and yet all the organics, it turns insane and wants to make them murder synthetics. It's almost like hmm. one of those like time paradoxes. Like you caused the very situation that you were hoping to avoid. Um, yeah, they should have maybe left it in sort of a box that, <laughs> much like the Romulan puzzle box, a box that only synthetics could unlock. Yeah, if they wanted that message to really get to the proper people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, maybe they thought that's what they were doing with the the octanary star system. Yeah. I don't know why, though. I don't either. Hmm. But it's, like I said, a cool idea. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in for it. Let me ask you this. Are the synthetics actually lie detectors? Are, are they actually able to detect lies? Because we saw that other race when they went to Free Cloud, which supposedly was able to tell, but they were fooled by a simple drug cocktail that Rafi whipped up in the bathtub. So, mm. like... Are they able to tell fact from fiction know. here? Because like it seems like all they're able to tell, like all they could ever tell, is essentially like a human, like a, a synthetic lie detector that, like you know, yeah, like a void comp test, sort of yeah. like watching yeah. your pupils dilate just, and yeah, I can tell, I can hear your heartbeat and your breathing became shallow and yeah, <laughs> your, your 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 palms are running like faucets, <laughs> your bowels released, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're popping a spontaneous erection. Like, <laughs> all the signs are you're up to no good. And you're telling me bullshit and lies. Uh, I, I think it's that they can't read minds, except for they got one of them that can do a mind meld. So maybe right. I have no idea. You know what? Saga was super into Betazoid culture, uh -huh. studied the fuck out of it, and she can just read people's minds. It turns out you're right. You're right. <laughs> She's boned up on boned up on uh, uh, on on Betazoid. Mm -hmm. culture they got a hold of one of them rings oh yeah she was hoping Narek, a, Narek would be her imzadi got a hold of a chalice and now they're they're experts yeah <laughs> yep uh that's it for the episode sure is oh um so commodore o is personally leading the romulan fleet yep and she's still called commodore was she like, in a? She was not in Starfleet uniform. Like, is her anymore. legal legal Romulan name Commodore O? Is Lieutenant <laughs> Rizzo's be. legal legal uh, Romulan name Lieutenant Rizzo? Might be because I know a lot of ranks of Romulan, and I don't think Commodore they got like it's all weird like semi Vulcan stuff like Praetor mm -hmm. and you know Centurion and Legionnaire and shit like that, right? Like, I think what so, is yeah. this Commodore? Uh, do, do they call her Commodore O at the end? I don't know, but yeah, she no, certainly do. is. Hmm. They, in universe, she's referred to as a as 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 uh, you know, fleet is at your command, Commodore. And I'm like, what? I don't, I don't Ooh. understand. Also, is this a like, Starfleet sanctioned mission? Is there any possibility there? 
that would be wild if they're actually working at even a higher because I, I i don't know that doesn't hmm. unless literally o is taken over in a shadow government way the entire functionality of all the federation because it doesn't yeah. seem like admiral clancy thinks that's the case mm-hmm. like their dialogue at the first of the season but i don't know because i got that is my question is how the hell does the head of starfleet security just bone off on less than a day's notice to a romulan fleet and engage and, and lead it into battle yeah like, can you imagine? Can you Maybe imagine? Maybe she's blowing like, her cover right here can, now. Can you imagine, like, the Secretary of Defense, like, when 24 hours leading a Russian fleet into battle uh-huh. against, I don't know, some, some France? <laughs> that would be insane. Like, I mean, they wouldn't be our, our chief, our security officer anymore. Well, I'm just saying, like, the mechanics of, like, well, I'm signing out for my day. Okay, bodyguards, I want you to take me to the airport. Where are we going? Oh, we're making an unscheduled stop to Russia. Okay, seems kind of weird, chief, but let's do it. Uh, Land in Moscow. He puts on his, like, you know, fucking red fleet uniform, and still everybody's like, ah, it doesn't seem like a, like, you know, she has to be trans. Like, things have to happen to get her there. I would like to see. I would like to see the last 24 hours of O's life. Uh-huh. How she went from Starfleet security director to leader of the combined Romulan Jat Vosh fleet. Well, I would love to always see. Always in Arcadia Ego Part Two. We've still got that to look forward to. So maybe that's what it is. It's a 24 hour episode in real time, mm-hmm. like 24, and it's going to show. Oh, like 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 so much Los Angeles traffic. She's going to cut through all that red tape to get right to the Romulan it's, fleet. It's 24 hours for using the bathroom just to make up for 24. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, right. I, she's probably blown her cover at this point, right? Like, because you have to in that situation. You can't, you can't, you're right. You can't go pilot a Commander Romulan fleet mm-hmm. and still be part of Starfleet unless it's a Starfleet sanctioned mission or you just said, fuck my position at Starfleet. I'm now fully a Romulan again. Seems like she's, she's, uh, she's blown her cover. You're right. Yeah. What cover she had as a half Romulan, half Vulcan member of Zatvash. Yeah. What the kind of background checks do you get to do you have to do to become the head of Starfleet security? <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. We're getting geared up for the sixth annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. 
the thrills of King's Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Shall we do some feedback? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, you can send feedback to us at Picard at baldmove.com. And if you do, we might consider it. David took that choice and boy, did it pay off. He says, first off, really been enjoying your coverage of Picard. Well, thank you. I'm a bit mad on the TV show. I liked the first episode a lot, but just found much of the rest to be average until these most recent two episodes, which got me back on board. But your coverage has been mostly excellent, and I've been cracking up at your humor and lighthearted ribbing that you give the show, as well as your insights in general. Can, I hope... Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, he. I think this email was sent in before this episode aired, and so he's the last two he's talking about are the oh, ones before. before this and before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah um but i want to say that thanks da david because like that's the spirit i'm going for like this yeah. is kind of like when i'm uh i love star star trek and when i poke fun at this it's mostly in the vein of like the stormtrooper smacking his head on the death store death star door it's like mm -hmm. i love this show i know a lot about it and there's the, the more you know about it the more ridiculous some of this stuff is because like I was, i'm also thinking like would this show be better if you actually came into it with zero knowledge of star trek just like kind of like accepted what they're saying and because a lot of the problems I'm having hmm. is just kind of like, this doesn't fit into what I know of Star Trek. Yeah. But otherwise, it's kind of like, you know. It might be. I'm not saying it's it would be like, it'd, it'd, it'd turn into A-plus television, but like some of these minuses are only from a long-term Star Trek nerds, uh, you know, calculus. Anyway, he continues, the one area of your coverage I've bristled at from time to time is the way you talk about the writers and the perceived lack of talent. More specifically, as it relates to Michael Chabon, whom I know you haven't called out directly, but it's kind of implied. Yeah, that's fair. I've, I've implied a lot about the people running the show. Mm -hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. I do agree that some of the writing on the show is weak, and I don't know where the fault lies. But I just got to say that I don't think it's an issue of talent on their, at least on his part. He's a respected and award-winning novelist who wrote Wonder Boys, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, The Yiddish Policeman's Union, among others. He's also got some solid screenwriting credits in the Wonder Boys adaptation in Spider-Man 2, although more of a mixed bag with John Carter. I don't know Spider-Man. I don't know. It wasn't that the amazing Spider-Man 2. I thought he was like, this isn't the Sam Raimi one. It's the shitty one. The Garfield ones? Yeah, the Garfield ones. But but here's here's your point. Um, It's entirely possible to be a very good writer and not be a great showrunner. Because they are somewhat related, but also very different skills. Mm -hmm. Um, And the timetables are different. And you can't just like work on something until it's done. So like, I don't say, think that any of these are like... When I say they're not great writers or not great showrunners, I'm just comparing them to people like, you know, the people they're writing Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, and, uh, you know, The Leftovers and Watchmen and things that uh, the, um, uh, the guys who made Chernobyl, uh, stuff that's like really interesting and nuanced and deep. And Star Trek just has never been that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a, as of a piece with Star Trek, but I guess there was a little bit of a hope with me that with Picard, they would try to do like a truly modern, you know, serialized kind of Star Trek. Yeah. But they, they've not, they've not elected to, to really try that. Well, it feels like they are trying. It's just that they're not, uh, I don't know. And I think we're being taken to task for taking the writers to yeah. task. I'll say up to the challenge, hmm. but it's a, it's a pretty high bar to clear nowadays. You know, yeah. if this were 
15 years ago when television was not what it is today, I think it'd be a lot easier to sort of produce some really, really strong Star Trek in this style. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, they also say, David says, so I think it's safe to say the man isn't lacking a talent. He also, to my knowledge, had nothing to do with Star Trek Disco. I thought that wasn't, see, a lot of this um, assertions I'm getting just from like r slash Star Trek and like Red Letter Media's coverage of it. Um, I think this Kurtzman guy has got a lot more, you know, they, they seem like people blame him more than uh, uh, Siobhan. I don't know. Hmm. Um, because I'm, I haven't really gotten into the history and look at these guys' careers um, clearly as much as you. I'm just judging on like what they're actually doing, you know, and what I saw from Disco, uh, the reputation of Enterprise, et cetera. Um, so anyway, I think we that that kind of covers that concern. Uh, Pierre, I like the French flair on the fake French Frenchman show. Says, as a viewer that only really knows most about Star, as Star Trek lore with the lowercase l, secondhand via you guys, and I've read, read some of the Memory Alpha entries here and there, I really appreciate your coverage. I don't need someone fanboying and hand-waving away plot contrivances. I appreciate your honest, nostalgic takes on the show. Thank you, Pierre. Yeah. I know you aren't really watching Disco, but this whole season feels like 2B of Disco and all of its AI plot. The crew of the Discovery spent most of last season fighting an all-powerful AI named Control that used nanobots to control or assimilate humans and corrupt cybernetic crew members. Honestly, AI is a massive sci-fi concept, but it seems crazy that there is this much overlap in two new Trek series. The only two new Trek series has been in a long while. The artificial intelligence in Disco went so far as to utter the phrase, struggle is pointless, <laughs> but then seemingly intentionally veered away from any Borg connection. All this to say that I really hmm. believe Disco should have gone another direction or Picard should have stayed away from the AI for a season or two. <sighs> yeah, the, the fungus warp drive was was pretty interesting in season one and very different from anything I'd seen before. Yeah. Yeah. But they went for this. A it does feel weird, but on the other hand, I got to say that like Picard and with the data angle and the Borg angle, it does kind of lend itself to the most natural, like credit where credit due. I think the central topics that this show has decided to tackle and address mm -hmm. are a great fit for the universe and for the characters that they've selected. Yeah, and, and kind of for our modern society as well. And when they're focusing on that, the show really hums. Mm -hmm. You know, Picard coming to grips with his failures and his emotional inadequacies and relating that to Data and, you know, like, it all feels pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes a lot of some some silly stuff gets in the way, but but uh, not, watched, not having seen Disco since I watched the season two premiere, I think two episodes after that, and I'm like, nah, this hasn't really gotten much better. Uh, and bailed it, on it. It doesn't feel like it's a retread to me. No, it seems like um, a lot of modern sci-fi is going this direction. You know, the, the bulk of the stuff that's on television feels like it's dealing with artificial intelligence. Like you just had devs come out. Yeah. Um, there, there's yeah. the apparently two Star Trek series that do it. Westworld. Uh, there's a lot of stuff right now that's sort of in the zeitgeist about AI. I wonder if this is like in the fifties where people are like, God damn, another flying saucer mm -hmm. movie. Yeah. Like, you know, aliens, like it's like you, you couldn't swing a sci-fi stick without aliens from another world invading you. Mm -hmm. uh, well, this is like what we're currently worried about is automation and AI uh, causing economic anxiety, causing replay. Like it, it makes sense. It makes sense. 
Uh, that said, I felt like this episode felt the most rewarding. It's a shame that most episodes that they built in the season are, uh, as the story, completely ignored the structure of week-to-week episodes. I love my myth arcs and my TV, and I don't think the episodic procedural uh, structure of television is what we needed, but it would have been nice to see some of these episodes feel a little bit more complete on their own. Um, yeah, I think this the X-Files would have been a good model for this show. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, they're going from planet to planet to do some kind of unrelated prep to the main stuff. And they get into little adventures and whatnot. But then there's also the steady ticking time that they have to figure out about the synths or whatever. Um, and like early seasons of Justified kind of had that, you know, you have a gangster of the week. But then you'd also have the overall kind of crime family plot. They could have done that, but they didn't. Yeah, Disco is doing, well, at least in season one, was doing something kind of like that um it was definitely more more serialized in star trek in the past but it was also uh you know episodic or procedural on occasion like a few episodes where they'd go down to a planet and be stuck there because like their brains were being affected by something or whatever uh yeah they did a few of those um and then pierre finally wants to know any ideas what the future of this show holds for you guys i mean we like you said we have a lot of fun covering this i think as long as it doesn't get too crazy in the schedule i could see myself covering a season two yeah as long as as long as patrick stewart's attached and Mm -hmm. they don't replace him with the underwear model Mm -hmm. um and as long as i'm having this much fun covering it uh because i yeah i have a i have a ball watching this stuff um i could see and, and you're right but it's it's all about the schedule you know like if westworld fargo and uh, Better Call Saul and something and, and West <laughs> the, the uh, new Game of Thrones s- show watch, yeah and it all comes back in, in the same period of time then Picard's probably going to get the bump yeah or like the expand you know like there's be- the other other better shows that are more important to us could come back and push it out of the schedule but I'm inclined to make room for it um, all else being equal Next email is John wants some help here. Star Trek Picard has a story, a season-long arc, and this is what it's about. The Zat Vash were formed hundreds of years ago after discovering the admonition which blows your mind and makes most people kill themselves. The leftover members of the Zat Vash, the ones who could survive this brain-melting admonition, the ones who are now totally devoted to this universe-saving secret mission, they do nothing for hundreds of years. They didn't care about Data or Lore or B4 or any of the robot plots from the original series. Um, but now, years after since have become a full slave labor force in the Federation, hundreds of years after they were formed to stop this, they spring into action with their secret plan to get all since banned. It works, at least in the Federation. Who knows about any other system of worlds in the quadrants of the universe? Bruce Maddox, roboticist, now whose work is now illegal, finds his way into a super secret robot planet that no one else has ever found. He just, you know, finds it. I think that's a, there's, there's one. This is the first flaw. Yeah, Yeah. He created this world. Yes, he did. Every one of these robots living on it are been born in the last 14 years or so. Yep. So so he made the utopia. He didn't find it. Yes, that tracks. Um, now he's fulfilled and happy working with Soon's ancestor with a bunch of beings, just like the ones he had tried to steal years ago, Data. But he wants to stay there and keep working on his dream. But for some reason, he sends his human passing creations Dodge and Soji off the robot planet to do what? Here's where we start getting murky, I think. Okay. Because uh, I don't know. I don't know what he meant by getting to the bottom of the ban. Like, and it seems like sending a double agent who's completely brainwashed 
was of limited utility too. Like that did more harm than good. But they kind of hand waved away with that, with um, data saying something along the lines of, uh, not data, uh, Dr. Soon saying something along the lines of, oh, you know, Bruce, the band made him paranoid. Mm-hmm. So he does all this weird spy shit. Um, anyway, it says, but, but, uh, he then leaves the planet for some reason, which you, why did he leave the pro? He had utopia here. And maybe he needed some kind of funding, but I don't know why. Yeah. yeah. Why did he go to Bejazel? Like, because he was worried because the Romulans came and nuked his lab. Yes. So his lab was- but his was lab was on wasn't world? on that planet or something because the Romulus couldn't scan from orbit to see this dense pack of synthetic <sighs> lives that have two human lives in it too. So his lab must have been totally separate from the place we visited this episode, right? Yeah, and so what you said it was like a spaceport, right? Or like some kind of old like she she I don't think this is the place the androids are living on the planet. This is a place. Okay. Yeah. It's just but the it place also, where she was born. It doesn't make sense that Bruce Maddox would have his lab halfway across the world or in the North Pole or whatever. Or that she would have been born in some place other than his lab. Yeah, because soon his lab is right there, right, right there in the heart of the complex. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, why did Bruce plant the clue to finding the planet in Soji's dreams, but also plant an inability for Soji to get the clue? That's a good question, because if she's... If she needs to find out her plan or where her planet's from, then it just seems like once she figures out like why the Zatvash are doing what they're doing, they could just activate her. She would have full control of her memories and her capabilities, and she could just get back to them. Mm-hmm. Like why the elaborate coding in a dream? I think you're supposed to understand that that is her subconscious positronic brain dealing with the uh, cognitive dissonance of living a life that she knows is unreal. Like this is her brain rejecting the the false yeah. narrative she's been fed. No, no, that's the thing. Like, um, Narek in the the season has been pushing her to the edge of activating because he needs mm-hmm. those memories to unlock. So I don't, I don't think that's a flaw in her programming. It's just a an exploit that Narek is running on her essentially. Right, right. Um. So why was the clue to find the planet just that it had two red moons and electrical storms, and then we get there and none of these had none of these things. The That's electrical storms are weird, question. yeah. Like red moons and all that. Like I, I think we didn't we see the red know. moons as they pull up to the planet. I guess yeah. Maybe the electrical storms are what's going to really do do a number on the Romulan fleet. Maybe <laughs> lightning. So as the lightning shoots up in the orbit, and <laughs> oh, I was gonna say lightning would just hit the La Serena, and the it'd the power would come back on and it'd be fine. Supercharge it. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're yeah. gonna take Borg nanites, inject it in the La Serena. Lightning's going to strike it. It's going to Frankenstein back together. Or lightning hits the board cube and suddenly they can defeat all 218 Romulan warbirds. You know, we didn't talk about so many things, even though this is a super long podcast. Like, uh, what do you think of Rios's uh, siren tattoo? He's really gone all in on the mermaids. I you didn't did, notice His it. giant shoulder tattoo that's of a mermaid? Huh. Oh, man. Um, once I see this guy in good lighting... I see he's got the, the 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 mermaid tattoo, and he's got actually really bad bangs. <laughs> don't they just stick up? Is I it? don't rarely see dudes with bad bangs, but this is just like uh, his his whole head looked like a cowlick. I, I, my mind is blanking. I can't pull up what Rios looks like in my head. Devastatingly good looking guy, but the bangs and good light. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I th- how I feel about him. Hmm. I mean, obviously, I feel bad, but. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Let's see where I can figure. I got to pick up this uh, my point in the screen here. Um, so the Romulans take that one clue that doesn't match the planet at all. Sins what looks like every ship the Romulans own on this mission to destroy the sins. We're either we were earlier told that the Zot Vosh are a super secret organization that even the Romulan spy agency Tal Shiar considers to be a fairy tale, but they somehow can order up the entire Romulan fleet on a moment's notice and have it led by the Starfleet head of security. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, and the Romulans are still refugees from a destroyed homeworld, right? Yeah, this a lot of stuff doesn't make sense. I looked it up when in uh, when you were talking about one of the scenes. Wolf three five nine, which was a very large, unprecedented engagement, mm-hmm. was forty starships. Oh boy. Okay, so two hundred eighteen is now. That here's the thing: is like this might track in Star Trek lore that like Wolf three five nine was a turning point in the Federation where they started like leaning into more nakedly military things. They started to de- 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 developing. Uh, yeah, a blade of armor, quantum torpedoes, mm-hmm. um, ramping up their military. Uh, then the Dominion War came, and all that stuff just went into overdrive. So I guess I could believe that, like, after this Cold War, and then you had this actual war and Borg War explosion, that maybe now 220 is kind of a Wolf 359 fleet. But yeah, how does the super, like, did the Romulan Empire just get taken over by the Zot Vash? The day to yeah. declare martial law. What does that even mean when you've lost your home world? Mm-hmm. Um, and you get this diaspora and like these squatting desert planets. Like, I, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't think that's well, the thing. I don't think showrunners do either. Well, let's say this is a part one of a two part episode. And some of this might be explained. Like it, it could literally be that she's working with Starfleet and that Starfleet has dispatched this fleet of Romulan ships because who would have Romulan ships at this point? Right. Yeah. Like the, the Romulan society is all but non-existent. They certainly, I wouldn't think, have an entire fleet of starships to send on a mission like this. Right, right. But maybe Starfleet would. Yeah, but they're all Mm warbirds. And it seems like even the Borg sensors show that they're all warbirds, warbirds too. Yeah. I don't know. It's one of those things where, like, this is very Star Wars, where you've got the Galactic Empire or the, the Galactic Republic has been, in, like, 20 years, reconquered by an old offshoot faction of the empire Mm -hmm. and are now on their heels down the one ship. But like, how did this happen? They don't really explain. No. Um, Anyway, I'm going to give them an episode because it is a two parter, but I I imagine none of this will be explained. There's a lot riding on this two part. It really is. Um, so let's wrap this up. It says, meanwhile, our heroes know what this planet is because Riker and Troy's daughter knows an old captain who recognized the description of red moons and the electrical storms again, even though that's not what the planet looks like. What is your, you had a theory that uh, this captain was a Q. Mm-hmm. That kind of dovetails into my theory that like synth Q and, and meat Q are going to show up and like rumble. It's going to be jets and sharks. Yeah. West side story, alpha quadrant story. Sure. Uh, a lot of snapping. Episode. You think... <laughs> <laughs> That's a snap. And when the cues, when you start cues start snapping, oh, holy yeah. shit. Shit happens. Holy shit. World's end. Cues uh, snapping, shit's happening. <laughs> <laughs> you feel better or worse about the Q theory? Uh, I think it would be amazing. There's no way it's going to happen, but it would be fantastic, and I would love to see it. Uh, so they open up a Borg trans warp conduit that Soji just suddenly knows how to find that to leap ahead of the entire Romulan fleet. I will say, it's very, even though I was prepared for it, it's super jarring to have Soji just know everything now. Yeah. Like, just on site, like, oh, but I guess she's an android and it's, like, locked away through some kind of android science. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So uh, they immediately get into battle with Narek, who followed them, but it doesn't matter because he's down and taken prisoner and has to wait for his sister anyway, so he might well just have come with her. They get to Robot City, where they learn that even though uh, we had to say Commander O is half Vulcan so she can mind meld, apparently androids can do it now, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Picard needs a ship back, so the androids give him a magic button, which uses imagination to fix things. Cool, that's cool. Just uses imagination. After mind-melding, the androids get the message from the synth god beings that they will totally show up and kick the ass of anyone threatening you. Also, they won't just kick the ass. They'll wipe away all organic life in the quadrant you've been having trouble with. Now this entirely peaceful and isolated planet where they've just been kicking soccer balls and having quite a time for years are immediately on board. will destroy all life. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's literally the plot, you know? What about um, all the, the planets and races in the Federation that haven't dabbled in artificial life? Nope, are gone. they also wiped out? Yeah, like what? I mean, it is Star Trek as hell to have this binary thing. How about dogs and like, cats? How about elephants? Like, yeah, living together. It's impossible. No, are they going to wipe out like every organic being? Hell yeah. Why would you wait for once organics? So organic life, if you properly appreciate it, we are the Sabo around the round that is artificial intelligence. Once we have delivered that payload, we're mm-hmm. just redundant. We're just a husk. Sure. And we can be sloughed off. I'm just wondering, where's um, the line of responsibility here? Well, and I accidentally, when I said, like, the AI are like the Avengers and they're here to kick Thanos' ass, I'm like, that would actually be cool. Like, if these AI, they weren't there to exterminate all organic life. It's just like, we're going to we're gonna beat the fed, this, this uh, Federation and Romulan plot, and then we're going to, like, don't make us come back. Mm-hmm. Like, you better leave our AI brothers and sisters alone or we'll come back with the, the hurting. It like, sounds why like do they have to bringing be so the fucking, pain. Yeah, why do they have to be like Thanos instead of the Avengers? Why, do, why does the AI have to be, like, from a human perspective, immoral? I don't know. No shades of gray here. But uh, anyway, that's the, that's the feedback we had for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week for the, the, the thrilling conclusion of... It Ecto, no, et in Arcadia Ego. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it, it'd be super classic Trek if we had to wait like nine months for this. Right, right. Split it over two seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The classic part one, part two. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a part three. Oh, I, I, you just blew my mind. I didn't even know you could do a part three. I didn't think that was legal. I don't, has it, is it, I think it might be an unprecedented in Stark track lore. Why didn't they ever do a three-parter or four-parter? We're probably speaking at our ass. Voyager probably did eight three-parters well, in I'm its final talk, season. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about just like through TNG. Okay. I, I, I couldn't even swear that there wasn't like a five-episode arc through, I mean, it wasn't almost all the seasons in the last Deep Space. I remember the, like the last three seasons mm-hmm. being essentially serialized. Yeah, they but absolutely were. that's not were. true. There was individual just like them fucking around in Deep Space Nine and uh-huh. finding wormholes, and they still had other Star Trek adventures, right? Yeah, but it was so, mostly like once you got to the Dominion War, it was pretty serialized. Yeah, that's how I remembered it, but I haven't seen it in many, many years, and I know you you watched it just a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's our show for Picard. We'll be back next week for the ultimate, the final, the the season one finale of Star Trek Picard. Please send in your FEMAC, your FEMAC. Send in your FEMACs to femax at baldmove.com please send your feedback to picard at baldmove.com we'll be back next week until then i'm aaron and i'm jim have a great one